This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And for today's topic, I had to bring not just one, but two subject matter experts in from Acadia. Julie Spear, who is the Head of Retail Services at Acadia. Welcome, Julie. Hey, Kiri. Glad to be here. And Ross Walker, who is our Retail Media Team Lead. Welcome, Ross. Hey, Kiri. Thanks for having me back. So today we're talking about new retail media networks or new for your brand, testing out a new retail media network, how to know when you're ready, how to dip your toe in and get started. And I think what I'd like to start with first as we jump in is setting the stage here. What are the issues that brands tend to have when they're considering expanding into a new retail media network? What holds them back? What are some of the internal challenges they might have, budgetary concerns, things like that. And then we're going to get into the practicalities of expanding into new retail media networks and how to do it once you've decided that it's a good idea. (laughs) So I might um, kick it over to you first, Julie, just in this sort of like stage setting um, segment. What are some of the things that you hear from um, clients when they're first exploring new retail media um, networks as an expansion opportunity? I mean, curiosity of what the new channels could bring to their overall brand growth is definitely present, but often brands lead with concerns. Um, They can lead with what, what will be the cost of investment? How will I allocate my funds appropriately across channels? And I think, um, The continued word that was closing out 2023 bleeds into 2024 is the question of incrementality. Um, How will the new channel bring incremental sales customers to their overall business? And are they putting their priority channels, whether it be DDC, Amazon, Walmart, are they putting their priority channels um, at risk for cannibalization by adding additional channels to their strategy? So while curiosity is a part of it, I think often people start leading and doing the exploration with their concerns, stating their concerns and looking for those to be answered. Yeah, let's definitely come back to incrementality <laughs> and this like concern around cannibalization because we, we could spend a whole episode talking about that. Um, we'll, we'll cover it off. What about you, Ross? What do you hear as the concerns that brands have when they're looking at to expand? I think a, a lot of brands um, have, you know, bandwidth concerns, like maybe their core function is around around Amazon, or maybe Amazon isn't even their core function, and it's just a part of their a part of their job. And so the idea of adding another retail marketplace to manage for media or another retail marketplace to manage for content is is just like too much, you know, um, not enough, not enough bandwidth on their plate to kind of make, make room for it. Um, and so what often happens is, you know, it, the, the notion that someone is advertising there is trickles, you know, trickles through their, their network and they start to get interested in about it. And we, we start to hear some questions like, um, like, you know, what are results like on this platform? And, and so, um, 
clients what are, are the CPCs like? Yeah, Do you what, get that question? <laughs> what are the CPCs like? You know, like ROAS yeah. better than Amazon. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I will say, like, I really will voice the same thing that Julie did is that brands are a lot more interested with retail media networks in the question of like, well, are these incremental customers? Because in almost every case, they're already, they probably already have a team who's working with the retailer. So they are really want to know, like, are these new customers on top of that already? How do they have to divide their time to take advantage? Is, it, is there enough of an opportunity to warrant, you know, adding more resources to it? So I think that's, those are the biggest concerns that brands have. Yeah. I was going to say, no one wants to get left behind as well. So like, we've got a few brands that are, you know, say, say they're, uh, they, they have a, you know, medium sized business um, with a retailer like Ulta, and they see that, you know, Ulta's advertising is, you know, starting to get a little bit more press. They're hearing more brands advertising there. They look themselves and they see more sponsored search results when they do a quick check to see where their products are. Um, and so that that feeling of not wanting to miss out um, is is strong. Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say FOMO yeah. is a pretty strong driver. Um, I, we, <laughs> we we're just having a conversation earlier today, me and Julie, um, where the, the heyday of Instacart was brought up and like, oh, back in the, in the early days of Instacart, CPCs were so cheap. And yeah, like arguably, yes. However, like there wasn't the same infrastructure and like mm. capabilities at the time. Um, and for a whole host of the reasons that we've talked about, having the capability, having the budget, um, these things can make some brands force them into like a, you know, not uh, t- to adopt a little bit later than maybe they want to. I was going to also say like that one of the challenges I think that our clients have is well, where does this budget come from? To your point, Ross, about there might already be a national sales team in place that manages the relationship with that retailer. So then if, if it is sales driven, does the budget come from that sales team's budget from trade spend or is it going to come from brand? And this is like we're getting into the murky territory of where does retail media spend come from in the budget and from what we've seen from um, analysts like Stradably, it's all over the map. Sometimes it comes from brands, sometimes it comes from trade. Mm-hmm. Um, even amongst the enterprise brands, it's really, really diverse in terms of the way that different companies are thinking about it. Well, and it can be so siloed between channels. I mean, Ross and I have been part of more than one conversation with mature brands where the Amazon team, the Walmart team is a silo. And then you throw in something like Ulta, there's not conversation across the teams or knowledge of what the goals, priorities, and budgets are. So the question of where the budget comes from is one thing, but Mm -hmm. then for some brands, the silo of channels actually exists within their own organization. Um, And so that's another hurdle that brands have to work around. I've got a a few brands that I feel like are leading the charge and going the, what I think is the right direction in like having this kind of omni-channel approach around retail marketplaces. So, I mean, like they're like, we're managing all their retail marketplaces. So, okay. Caveat, like we're we're doing it. We're doing that with them. You're a little biased. I'm a little biased, but like (laughs) at least it's centralized and the management is centralized in one place and the conversation is, Mm -hmm. is happening amongst, you know, one core team. And, and so um, that core team uh, we're all like 
able to weigh in on what the pros and cons are of investing in one place or another and discuss the trends um, across retail marketplaces and the opportunity cost of expanding the budget that we have, which is like a centralized budget to additional retail marketplaces is at least possible. Um, the interesting caveat I would add there is that like, as those, um, you know, as we have all of that in one place um, centralized, there start, it's, it's interesting because now then it starts that demands from different aspects of the business start to come in. So, um, you know, now uh, inventory has to be allocated to, you know, some retailers based on their brick and mortar sales. And so we can't allocate enough inventory to support, you know, your online sales on these other other retailers. And it's like, ah, yeah, so it, it becomes it, it becomes a very um, complex topic. But at the very least, the ideal is, I think, to have, you know, kind of one one vision on budget um, and to be able to uh, pull that where it makes sense to pull it across the different retail opportunities. Yeah, well, that is the promised land, Ross, that you're describing there, the land of sunshine and, and rainbows, for uh -huh. sure. <laughs> well, Julie, I know you, you had some questions teed up for Ross here around, okay, what if, if you are testing a new retail media network, how to know when you're ready? Should we should we jump in? Yes, I, I think that, you know, the filter that you put the decision through of how you know when to enter, how you know if it's working, how you know to double down, what are kind of the markers that you're looking at when you're assessing new retail media networks? So it's, it's for, for us, like the, the foundation, I would say, of what we found is really necessary to prove the effectiveness of all the retail media networks is to be able to actually go like outside of what the advertising platform tells you. Um, and it's to answer that core question around incrementality that that keeps coming up so often. So if you go and work direct with Critio or Citrus, um, or if you just manage the ads yourself in a silo, you might see a certain ROAS or you might see certain ad sales. And, and you know, maybe a rep will tell you like, oh, these are really good results compared to like some other um, brands in your category. But if you're not tying that back to what the total business is doing, what your dot com sales look like or how your brick and mortar sales might have been impacted by that investment, then, you know, some ultimate decision makers like your finance or your CEO might say, I'm not seeing the value of this investment. So for us, being ready to work on any of the retail marketplaces means having that infrastructure, that sort of reporting infrastructure in place, like being able to pipe the data from how um, sales are being impacted by your ad investment is kind of like table stakes, um, tying tying together your your advertising investment online with, you know, what's happening with the business overall. So any retailer net marketplace that doesn't offer that, I would be wary of. Fair caution. That's a good, well, <laughs> is there anything else, like any other kind of red flags you'd see, Ross, with like a retail media network sort of not really being ready for investment yet? So one thing I, I one thing I wish that Instacart would Ha would provide, but they still don't. And in some ways, I, it makes me, I, I fundamentally have a challenge with the platform um, is because the automatic keyword harvesting function that it has. And what that tells me is that I don't have control over the advertising that I'm doing. And so in any retail media network where I don't have control over the 
bids that I'm offering or the or the keywords that I'm targeting or the products that I'm featuring anywhere where that, that control is lacking, those are like yellow to red flags for me. And Instacart kind of get gets away with it because um, they're of their scale and because we have some good workarounds for it. But um, any any network that didn't have, you know, that, that had less control, um, I would be wary. Of. And what are some some things you keep in mind with the test itself, Ross? Like once once you've landed on, yep, going to go this direction with this retail media network or these retail media networks. What are some things that you keep in mind to set yourself up for a successful test, whether it be number of networks, mm. budget, goals that are identified? How do you how do you set it up successfully for a test? So. I guess the, the first thing I would I would want to have from the outset is yeah what is what are the what are the goals of my campaign so in almost every case we're looking at you know sponsored search ads for almost all of our retail investments um, and so the goals that we're looking at are around sales and incremental sales so it's very rare where we'll set up a goal around generating a certain number of impressions or clicks um, you know click through rate is or, or impressions served, you know, rarely are those the KPIs that um, our retailer, that our partners care about. So, so understanding at the outset, like what is the, um, what is a successful um, result? Like what is a great, what is a great ROAS overall or total ROAS for our investment? If we invest 15K this month, you know, do we expect to see at least 15K incremental sales, um, total sales for our brand? That, that's gotta be the outset, like, the first thing we want to establish and the other, but, but the side note to that is like, you have to give it some time um, because with all of these retail networks uh, it can take a few months to have your campaign set up, to optimize your bids, to find where your share of voice is truly incremental. Um, and if you make a decision really fast, say on like one month's worth of data, I would say you're, you're probably not getting the most that you could out of any one retail market. So, month, so give yourself time and set goals. Months with an M and an S. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so two, just two, or are we plural <laughs> months? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like for me, like I would give it at least a quarter, right? You know, at least three months of data mm -hmm. to give yourself um, some runway to see what your initial results are, what the optimized results are, and then whether you can mm -hmm. scale that. Um, and I think that that's like a reasonable cycle. Uh, except for products that are very seasonal, mm -hmm. and then I would say, you know, run it through your peak season to really get a good baseline year over year. And you brought up the word, is it time to go to the question of incrementality? <laughs> <laughs> when you you uh, you even use the phrase truly incremental as you're mm. talking about like a successful test, how are you truly measuring truly incremental in, in the tests? How are, how do you tackle that? So some, sometimes brands will ask the question, um, how do I know that these are new customers? And the answer is like, I don't. I don't and, and I never could because I don't have access to the the customer data for any of my retail networks to tell me whether or not these are net new customers. And that's only only in the last you know year or so um, has Amazon even started to add some tools in AMC that allows you to compare um, customer data in their clean room so you can understand whether an Amazon customer is net new or not truly. Um, so we don't have that for real retail networks. So we have to look at other other measures. And the measures that I look at are um, you know, additional sales, additional dot-com sales or additional brick and mortar sales, um, both year over year and 
um, month over month compared to what my investment has been. So I have to look at those measures, those kind of like secondary measures to see whether or not I'm driving net new incremental business um, to, to any one channel, because there is no way to drill down and know if a customer is truly new or not. Yeah. And even, I just want to add to that, even within Amazon, when we see new to brand, it's only new to brand on Amazon. And, and we're never mm-hmm. going to get any better than that. It's not like, oh, let's wait for the technology to catch up. You think about retailers don't have any interest. They've got nothing to gain from sharing this data unless mm-hmm. there is some reciprocal kind of agreement, which I guess could happen, but we, we don't see that yet. Also, just privacy policies for mm-hmm. these retailers Um preclude them from doing that a lot of the time as well, especially for it to be an identifiable customer as well. So if I'm a mm-hmm. if I'm a loyalty member of Sephora's insiders, they they're not that there's only certain things that Sephora is able to do with my information as a customer. They can mm-hmm. sort of not not sell that information, but they can sort of disclose to advertisers, you know, we have this many Uh, loyalty members who live in the state of Georgia and, you know, buying habits and things like that. But they can't say this is Kiri Masters, this is where she lives, and this is how much she spent on our site last year. (laughs) So I I think this, you know, just to to reiterate your point, Ross, like we're not not able to prove incremental new customers in any channel. And unless you go and pay a um, an analytics company a lot of money to do media mix modeling you you won't know because you, you can't really you can't track someone's whole journey from first hearing about a product mm. to researching it to where they bought it and then when they bought it again if it's a replenishable product like that's that un, unless you do a, a study an expensive study that's not possible mm-hmm and I think it's a red herring in any yeah. case, right? Because okay. we've said, we've often said this of, of, you know, Amazon versus Walmart um, or even just Amazon versus D2C is it doesn't, it doesn't really matter where you're acquiring your, acquiring your customers. Um, if the customer prefers to shop on a certain platform, it's kind of on you to be yes. there and make the most of it. So um, if the, if your traditional Ulta customer always bought in store, but Ulta has been doing a good job of marketing their website and increasing features um, and sales and, and, and just like making people use their website more um, and people prefer to buy that way. It, it's really not, I would say it's, it's incumbent upon a brand to just improve that experience and to, and to fight in that arena for, for the uh, attention share of your customer. You have to be where your customers are or where they're looking for you. Right. Right. hundred percent. And so that's why a lot of our brands are testing multiple retail networks at once, you know, to kind of see like, well, where is my, where is my customer? Do they, do they respond to ads? Like if I can just put a little bit of money here, am I going to discover very quickly that, you know, my customer likes to purchase on any one platform. And I would say that that's an initial strategy, um, a scattergun shotgun approach, just like I'm going to lay down some bets and I'm going to see what wins. Um, but I think that we will find well, what we're finding over time is that that's, it's not enough. You know, you need to sort of curate your customer base on each one of these platforms and bring them along. Have you found kind of a sweet spot for the test in terms of number of networks and investment? Because mm-hmm. um, going to the scattergun approach, 
it's not a bottomless well of, of mm. funds to, to support that test. So there has to be a, a sweet spot that we're looking to hit. I think there's a math, I think there's a math, like there's, there's not a mathematical model that I have right now, but, but there is, I think a ma- a bit of a mathematical model to be able to say like, well, if I'm not, um, if I'm not able to attract, you know, at least a certain amount of traffic with my budget, um, to, to meet my average conversion rate, um, then I probably shouldn't sp- split my budget so thinly. Um, so I don't, I don't really have that heuristic in mind, but like, if you have a limited budget, I would say, you know, putting two to three to $4,000 into every retail media network and seeing what's come, come back based on the CPCs that I've seen and the conversion rates that I've seen across say Critio platform, the Critio platform, like for all brands and all categories, I would say that you're not, you're not nearly, um, going to investing enough to move the needle. So um, I, I would I would take it kind of step step by step. Mm-hmm. The scattergun approach, I think, is too much, you know, sort of put your investment, put your focus into, you know, one, you know, one at a time um, uh, based on, you know, how much budget you have to test. Right. So once you've you've you know done that test over a quarter, mm-hmm. um, I, I think we've hit on this in a, in a few ways, measuring the additional sales by channel. Yeah. Are there other markers for success to determine, to help a brand determine like, yes, this is a channel I'm going to stay in. Or on the flip side, markers are of, nope, this is not worth the investment. It's not worth another quarter of a yeah. test. Let's move on. So um, I think the, the first one is, it, it, it really does come back to the sales that you can generate. So if your investment is um, driving incremental sales for your brand, then that's usually the first that's the first hurdle to pass. Um, so if the answer is no, it's not after three months driving additional customers, then you might say, okay, my customer base isn't, isn't here yet. Um, and, and it's not moving the needle. So probably those dollars should be invested elsewhere where I can move the needle. Um, the secondary concern that I would have uh, for any brand is if I'm, if I am driving incremental customers, is it, you know, fundamental, fundamentally at a lower ROAS, um, than, than my other channels. Like, can I have incremental gains by investing those same dollars on, on another platform? And if the answer is that it's way too expensive, the CPA is really high because CPCs are high and conversion rate is low, um, for me to keep investing in a retail, like a retail marketplace, um, if it's just not as effective on that channel, then, um, then I might not allocate my budget and I might not stay there. Um, there's, there's a couple of, there's a couple things that I'm waiting for that will that I'll add as qualifiers. Um, so what I'm waiting for is to be able to get more, some more third party data, some more, or even first party data if they would share it about what the search volume trends look like on all, all these different retail marketplaces. So if I knew, for example, that search volume was like incrementally increasing on on any given channel over time, then I might be able to map out and say, you know what, now it seems expensive, but a year from now it's going to be a great channel for you, but I don't, I don't have that data yet. Um, so for a brand that's really rich, you might say, okay, great. It pays to stay here and wait and see and watch the trends over time for a year and see like, all right, is my, are my impressions ticking up? Am I generally getting more traction here? Can I build a good path to the future? Um, but, but for now I'm kind of waiting for some of that data to come in because that's how I would assess the value in staying in a platform. Um, if the return was not super high. Are there any platforms that are coming close to that that you see that coming down the pike sooner than later? I no, I don't. I don't see anyone, you know, coming out with that data um, or or advertising that they're going to um, any sooner than the others. 
And I think the opportunity is just doesn't seem to be there for the third party tools to start scraping it and building their own models yet either. Um, though likely it will be a third party, you know, like a stack line or a, a Helium 10 that, that does it first. Um, but likely they won't go to all the retail media networks. They'll just start picking the biggest ones. Where would you start if you were working with them on it? What would be like your top three networks to go to mm-hmm. for that? Um, so well, Kroger... I think would be one that I would want a lot more data on. Like they're, I think maybe the second, I think they're like second only to Walmart in their grocery mm-hmm. footprint in the States. So like, I think they have a huge upside. Um, I think that um, like the sort of the beauty ones, like uh, like a Sephora or an Ulta, I don't see, I don't see them being super high on the, on that list. I think it's more the, like the grocery. So like a Walgreens, CVS, um, you know, Rite Aid direction than than those those beauty ones just because of their overall scale. So when you're looking at, I know we have a team that's that's doing the tests for our clients, but how what do you see as the ideal makeup um, of the team that's running the tests as you're digging into these other channels to determine their viability? So um, one thing I will say is that like the managed any managed service option for any one of these retail marketplaces is not the team to be running this kind of incremental test. Uh, the reason why, <laughs> the reasons, why the reasons why I say are numerous, <laughs> um, but but one they kind like they don't have the overview they they don't have the overview of the implications to like your your full business like they'll be super focused on just the ad the ad performance. So they'll be super siloed in that, in that right. Um, also, I would say they're usually spread really thin and not um, usually, usually in many cases, often not too experienced. Um, so, so I would say that that's not the right angle. Can I have one um, more in there have- as well? It's related to your first point about them not having the context of the rest of the business and what success looks mm-hmm. like. And not to, you know, these people are not evil, but they're, right. they're coming coming at things from a single view of the world, which is this retailer who I work for, who's paying my salary every every two weeks. You should be spending more money here, and they're grading their own homework. And mm. you know, if if things are not performing, well, maybe you should be spending more, or maybe you should be spending more up a funnel, or maybe you should be doing this or that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that. The, the people who are buying media on that side of the house are like evil or, or stupid necessarily, but they don't have anything to gain from you spending money anywhere else. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. hundred, I would, I would completely agree with that. And so that, that the, the broader perspectives, you know, all of that is, all of that is lost. Um, and, and so the other, so the, who is the right, the right team? Like, I think if you're going to be, um, managing it, your, yourself, like just keep in mind, like as a brand, um, if you are going to be experimenting in any one of these areas, like just keep in mind that first thing that I, I said today, which is like, you've got to have a clear view into like what the trends are of your total business after you do your advertising investment. So like take the time to set up that, that data pipeline, set up that reporting so that you can view the impact and report to your, you know, seniors, what the incremental impact of your, of your account is. Um, And then, I mean, for me, I think the ideal is like, if you can't hire someone who has the experience in managing retail media networks, then yeah, you would want to find an agency that it does. 
that, that does have some experience to do it. So someone with experience is obviously ideal to manage the account itself. And then someone to step back, look at the total picture, you know, understand what kind of promos are happening in the channel. So you can understand what the trends are like, the historical um, trends are like uh, someone who understands, you know, what the product life cycle looks like and whether or not products are going to be going in stock or out of stock are going to be discontinued. Like you always kind of need someone on the brand side who has that deep understanding of the catalog and, and marketing. Um, but then someone to manage the media and to track what the incrementality is to the whole business is really necessary. Yeah. I, I really agree with that, Ross. And, and again, coming back to that multi touch view as a consumer, if I'm, if I see an ad on Instacart for, new type of cookie um and it's a it's a a brand ad and then I transact on Kroger because that's where I'm picking up the next day or something like that that's something ideally that if you're seeing that those kind of fluctuations which we do see as retail media managers across you know half a dozen different retail media platforms we see investment here results in sales bump over there. And so that person you're talking about, you know, the hands-on keyboard operator, and then someone who's really accountable for tracking the experiment and, you know, putting forward a go, go, no go decision. They need to be able to look, be looking at those different um, sales channels and seeing, do we, did we actually see a bump in a different sales channel? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen we've seen that with a number of our clients, like their investments in um, Instacart actually resulted in, you know, big, big increases in Amazon sales um, just because that was the customer preference. So the awareness was done over here and then the purchase happened on someone's preferred channel. Yeah, quick little plug on that. That's something that um, we, we started thinking about and modeling way back in 2022, actually, with the retail media allocation yeah model that we put together. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that report and framework because it, it still holds true for that reason exactly, Ross, that we may find one channel is doing a really great job at awareness building and another channel is really good at harvesting that demand. And it, it, it takes some coordination to be tagging all of those campaigns effectively and we use PackView for that. Um, but we can we can allocate spend according to where are we getting the best return at different stages of the life cycle. And that goes to kind of the filter you're putting things through is when you have the person running the test that understands the value that unique channels offer uniquely to brands in specific categories, um, that just adds more value to your whole process. So it's not all, not every channel functions the same in terms of acquisition. Different channels can be more about discovery or in awareness. So understanding the value that each channel can offer within specific categories for products is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had a lot of experiences like that. And, you know, uh, clients of ours will often ask, how come this product is not doing well on Walmart? It's doing so well on Amazon. Um, and, you know, the answer, the answer is often just like, well, they're just different 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 sets of customers with different sets of expectations and different buying habits. Um, you know, you can ask me to push this on another channel as much as you want, but if it, if it's not, you know, what the customer, if it's not convenient for the customer to buy it in that channel, they probably aren't. Yeah. 
Well, a spirited discussion as always, talking about uh, retail media allocation, incrementality, testing new retail media networks. Thank you both, Julie and Ross, so much um, for your time today to talk about this. And I'll, I'll see you guys around. Thanks, Thanks Carrie. Carrie.